0: This is the first clubhouse of the Netherlands 1974 platform. This 1974 platform is created for all those people who have special feelings about Dutch football. This is also how I learned to know Gary Thecker, um, who told me at some point that he was working on a book that had a fascinating title, Beautiful Bridesmaids Dressed in Oranje. And we started to talk. And while this, this platform further developed, at some point, the date of the release of the book came closer. And uh, this is how the idea was born, to have the first Netherlands 1974 clubhouse today with our special guest, Gary Thacker. So welcome, Gary.
1: Thanks, Jan. Nice to be on board and uh, you know, the, for the first uh, clubhouse on the, on the platform. That's great. Thank you very much indeed. The first thing that I want to ask you, uh, Gary, is um,
0: where were you at the World Cup 74 final? With whom and what did you feel after that match? Um...
1: I would be at home um, with my uh, probably watching the game with my father on TV. Um, 74, so I'd be 17. Um, what did I think? Uh, I was distraught when the lost. Um, I'd been a fan of Dutch football since the Ajax teams of the early 70s. Um, were, uh, I, I still sort of, I still hold true that this is the way that people should play football. You pick your best eleven players and you put them on the park, rather than picking a right winger and a full back and the centre half. You pick your best eleven footballers, and uh, I thought I think you know they, as I said, they, I still believe that that's the way to play football. And I just felt that football was a little bit betrayed. Uh, it was it was spoilt. It was it was less than perfect. It wasn't how it should have been, and yet afterwards, it's almost become uh, the Dutch. Team of the '74 was more famous because they didn't win. A little bit like the magic, magic magical Magyars of the '50s. A little bit like Brazil. A little bit like '82. They were the team that everybody loved, not because they won, but because they lost, playing wonderful football.
0: Yeah, no, I, I can fully agree with that. I mean, uh, the the '82 Brazilians. That was the first time that I, that, that I saw uh, Junior, the right back, suddenly on the left wing giving an assist and i thought well this, this is exactly what i remember from 74 that gives football something something special and well l- like your book it is about the dutch football not just factual but also the emotions that it brings and the typical way of looking looking at, at football and but but first i want to go back further to your to your childhood because everything is rooted in our childhood in fact in the first 6 years of our life how was little gary of let's say five six years old. How <laughs> did you, how did football come in that in, into your life?
1: Okay, well I, I I was born and brought up in the industrial West Midlands of of England, in a town called Walsall, which is not too far north of Birmingham, and um, my dad used to take me to watch Walsall play. Uh, Walsall were a third tier team in those days, sometimes fourth tier, never really very good, um, and that's how I got hooked on football and strangely enough um and i don't know why um i'm actually a chelsea fan um and have been for as long as i can remember and you know i've been asked so many times well, why does somebody who uh, comes from the west midlands and is, is miles and miles away from west london um come to be a chelsea fan when you went to go see warsaw play so many times in the short times so i don't know but my love of football was certainly um nurtured by going to watch warsaw play with my father in the I suppose, early early 1960s, when I would be that five, six-year-old uh, old boy. Many people can remember the first balls that they kicked. Um, I, I can't say I can remember the first, ball. I remember I was always playing football. Um, you know, my friends, we lived in the cul-de-sac, and there was a field, we were really fortunate, there was a field just over the road from us. And when we came home from school, it wasn't what you're going to do, We just, you just get charged, you go out and play football. That's yeah. what you did. Um, you know, this, um, as I say, we've, I'm going to the other 60s now, so there was no, there wasn't any, much TV, uh, children's TV, and certainly no video games. And uh, as I say, we, we always played football. That's what you did. It wasn't a game. But what are we going to do after school? we get to play football. And obviously played football at school and other sports as well. But um, yeah, I mean, my, my youth, my young young years were very much full of football, both watching it and playing it. So it was inevitable what
0: happened to you later in life. You you became a football coach, uh, isn't it? Uh, uh, you're writing books about football.
1: Yeah, um, my, my son started playing when he was about six or seven. I mean, very much like my father passed a lot of football on to me, I did it with my son. And he started playing football for a local um, youth team. And I got involved, so I, I ended up doing my coaching badges and getting qualifications and uh, coached his team and then coached two or three other teams as well. Um, afterwards, which is quite enjoyable when you can't play. I broke my leg when I was um, four days before my 14th birthday, which really, it wasn't a particularly um, clean break either. So it sort of stymied any sort of, any hopes of being even semi-good as a player. Um, but passing on the, that uh, knowledge and experience and coaching onto, onto younger players is the second best thing to do.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I
1: recognise that that I had a similar Experience. I always thought when, when, when my son was playing in the teams he used to play for and it got really embarrassing playing some of the other the clubs there that um, even when you're under nine under 10 years old winning became the be-all and end-all for some people and you know it's just it, it's, it's painful it, it ruins the love of the game for the kids they're under so much pressure you get fathers yelling at the kids from the sidelines at that age yeah. kids just want to play they want to improve and they want to play and let them play and let them enjoy themselves. And, you know, they, I mean, I wasn't the manager of the club, but I was one of the coaches there. and We won as many games as we lost and we lost as many games as we won. But the kids were playing in for that club, enjoyed their experience far more than some of the successful clubs.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it is it's it is something that, that uh, I mean, in fact, here you're talking already about the roots of Dutch football, which is, how do we look at at our youth and our education of of youth players? And um, uh, um, so for me, in in my philosophy, my way of thinking is is let go, let enjoy. It's it's like what Johan Cruyff said when he was in Barcelona, go out and enjoy. That was his most important message, his last message when they went on the pitch. It's even even now uh, at the the entrance of uh, when the, the players come out of the tunnel, I think it's on the floor written that go out and enjoy. Um, and uh, uh, yes, but there are very fanatical parents there, and uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. unfortunately, and, and, and not even talking about violence that happens in amateur football. Let's not talk about that. Let's talk about the beautiful things about about football. So uh, you pass it on to your to your son. Uh, he also became a Chelsea fan. Yes, he is.
1: Yes, yes. Yes.
0: Could could he have been uh,
1: a fan of Liverpool? No. Never. No. <laughs> uh, how, my wife, what, how would uh, Father
0: Gary have found that? Uh,
1: my wife is a, and all my wife's family are well, Wolverhampton Wanderers fans. Ah. And uh, my son uh, follows me as a Chelsea fan, but our, our daughter is a Manchester United fan. Um, I don't really know why, but um, but she's a Manchester United fan. So so all my family are very much in, into football. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I speak to. Uh, Mentioned a couple of the uh, podcast guys we spoke to, I'd work on regular basis with, and um, one of them, Stu, said, is he's he's the only person in his family who has any interest in football at all. And it's pretty difficult. Where I mean, all all my family uh, on my side, my wife's side, her parents, my parents, uh, uncles, aunts, nephews, children, grandchildren. They're all just in football. so yeah. And they all have a club
0: that they support. Yeah, yeah, yes. Is, is, that, something, is that something typical English, English or, or, or British, that, that you always have a club, like the Argentines? There's no Argentine that I met so far that doesn't have a club.
1: The only person I know in my circle is Stu, Stu Horsfield, and he doesn't have a club. He doesn't, he doesn't have, have a club. club. He just loves football. He just loves football, yeah. But which, well, he, well, he it's really it, strange, yeah. and he doesn't understand why. But in you know, I mean, he lives near Hull, so I suppose. He gravitates towards Hull, but that's about it. But other than, I think that's the only guy I know who loves football and isn't hooked up to a club. Yeah. It is yeah. part of the culture.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, in the Netherlands, yes, of course, but it is not that 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 anyone you meet on the street will have a club. Have a club. That that's. That's different from, at least I know from Argentina. So that, that's why I want to try to compare that with, sure. with England and the Netherlands. But uh, now I know it from England that it's very strong, uh, this connection also. And uh, so with all this all this football background, um, you wrote your first book about football. When was that?
1: Um, I wrote my first football book. It was sort of semi footballish as I, I should say. It was a little bit autobiographical. Was probably about five or six years ago, and I wrote it under my pen name of All Blue Days, which is my Twitter thing, and it just seemed like I just did the writing do it at the time, um, which was a little bit about um, Chelsea winning the Champions League, a bit about my son and football, a bit about my wife and football, and how we sort of met and how football was important to us, and uh, very per- personal book. So yeah, it was personal. Yeah. It was a personal. Account about group. your private life, I mean, yeah. Yeah, 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 and. And the, the second book I wrote after that was um, was a, my, probably my uh, major work I did, which took me three years to write, which was uh, a history of England and the World Cup. I mean, all the way through from the Olympic Games in the early 1900s right up into the World Cup in Brazil. And that took me three years 220,859 oh. words. <laughs> and if you don't think I've counted them all, you're having a headache, I'll tell you, because I've counted them all. Um, so, I, so that, and then. Um, after that, I um, I dipped into fiction. Um, I re- wrote a novel uh, last year, and I'm currently um, completing the sequel to it, which, hopefully, all being well, should be with the publishers by August time, targeted to be out in Christmas. So, so there's I'm, a new book coming up already.
0: While wow, we're not even talking about your last book.
1: Yeah. But yeah. We will. Soon we will. We always and you mentioned the guys the podcast before. It's a bit like writing a book is a bit like a drug because it, it, it becomes all encompassing of your life. It takes over. And then but when you finish this, it leaves a massive hole and you just need to start another one.
0: Yeah, no, that, that, I, I, I understand that completely. I have it on another level, which is in making films, sure, sure. where where um, wh- while you're in the middle of one, something starts to cook already for the next. and. And that is what, what 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 drives you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I, I think this this is a perfect moment also to to, to go to your last book, because in fact that's what we are here. Um, beautiful bridesmaids dressed in orange, and um, about the the fact that this beautiful football, this country that had so many great players and so many great performances, never won the World Cup. Um, What is the motivation of someone from
1: England to want to tell that story? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I alluded to earlier, um, I was really hooked on football from the great Ajax teams of uh, the the, um, nice uh, 71, 72, 73 European uh, Cup triumphs I'd be. So 13 at the time, 14, which is about the age when you become, you're looking for something, some kind of uh, way of, understanding football, how it should be played. And I just got entranced by the beauty of the Ajax teams. And obviously um, Feyenoord before we won the, the European Cup in 1960, 1970. And Axe lost it in 69, lost to AC Milan in the final. So for those sort of five years, um, all of a sudden, Dutch football became a massive thing uh, and in European football. And I, I, think I got hooked on the way they played. And not just Ajax, but Feyenoord as well. And um, it became part of... The, I still, as I said earlier, I still think that's the way sh- football should be played. And I was, I, people tell me, you know, you just, you just dutch football, mad Gary, and I am a little bit. I am a little bit. um Like okay, even a couple of years ago, when uh, Frankie De Jong and the was were playing for Ajax, and they had that great run in the European Cup, yeah. I was so, I was so happy. I said, like, look, look at this. This yeah. is great. This is great. Look at the way they're playing. A, 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 a little story, I was I was in um Santiago de Compostela in the north of Spain when uh I actually playing away to Real Madrid and we we're watching full of Spanish people's bar and but everybody was entranced by the acts performance there and I just it just sort sort took me back another um, 30, 40 years to yes. break which teams. Are. That's how I got hooked on football.
0: But you're mentioning another moment where there's a team playing such fabulous football that is beating Real Madrid and Juventus completely unexpected and then in a few minutes' time before the end of the game gives it away to, to Tottenham. Yeah. Know. Is
1: that
0: is that also typical Dutch football?
1: You know, I mean, yes, it is. It is. I mean... Cruyff after, after 1974, found, uh, forgive me if I haven't got this quote exactly right, but he, he said something along the lines of, um, Dutch football became all about being the beautiful losers. <laughs> uh, I don't know it like like that, but there, I have some that, variation, yeah. It's something along those lines and, um, you know, it is, uh, there is that to it and I think that's why, one of the reasons, and people look at Italian football, Spanish football, um, German football has been something to admire, but not necessarily something to love. Ah, you know, mean, so, that's that, that for you is, is a clear that's cut between
0: admiring that's, and, and love. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and yeah. I always say that, you know, my love of Dutch football, I mean, as I say I'm a Chelsea fan, that's my passion. But I, I've got massive admiration and affection for Dutch football, like a wonderful piece of art, like you look at a, a painting or a piece of sculpture and you admire the beauty of it. That's that's how uh, I was, What what
0: what is it in inside that Dutch football? Is it is it the players? Is it uh, the strategy? Is it the orange shirt? What is it?
1: I think it's the it's the way. It's you know it's everything, Jan, isn't it really? I mean the orange shirt are, there's the little something a little bit magical about the orange shirt as well. It's the same as the Brazilian shirt has a little bit the Canadian shirt has a little bit of magic about it. Um, but yeah, I think it's the ethos, the way they play. Certainly in the '74 and '76 European Championship, a little, little less perhaps, but '78 as well, um, where they, they they played with such I don't know, freedom. Uh, yeah. Players were could play in different positions. They they compressed space. They opened space. Um, it was just they were just te- technically excellent, tactically tactically astute, but they played with a joy as well. Um, like freedom to express themselves. Well, I think
0: freedom—that—that that is a word that I, I immediately can can pick up because this is something that is very strongly in our in our society. Um, you know that in the Netherlands we have for every religion has has its own church. We have has its own school, has its own football club. So yes, that that freedom is is very strong. And maybe um, that team of the 70s, the 74, uh, the Ajax, and and then later the 74 team. Um, it is like Al Koch writes in his book, uh, 1974. We were the best when he says, in 1974, the '60s ended. Yes. So we were a little bit late, you know, overcoming the '60s. That's why we drove drove into the '70s with long hair and, and big uh, beards. And uh, and if you look at the at, at the team of '74, it is a bunch of pop stars, rock yeah. stars,
1: you know. Yeah. Right. I, it, actually, I was I was talking talk. He's agreed to help me with the book. I'm going to rewrite him uh, next year. Um, but his book, his books really good. Um, and there's a wonderful distinction between the AX team of Nichols, 71, and the uh, the AX team of Kovacs in 73. 71, all short hair, sha- clean shaven, very sort of um, straight laced. is perhaps the English phrase. 73. You got Barry Holsoff with his shaggy beard. One of your favourite wearing love beads. They've yes. all got long hair. They're like very hippie ish yes. as you say. And, and you know, it's just and we're back to that freedom again, isn't it? And um David Winner, um, who uh, must be David Winner who wrote Brilliant Orange and he there's a piece he wrote about um you can't believe that Root Kroll played the nineteen seventy four World Cup final wearing love beads. Yeah,
0: the love beat is amazing, yes. I fully agree. Yeah that's yeah. that That's the sort of thing that really entrances me. Yeah, you you mentioned Barry Hosoff, who unfortunately couldn't make it to the team in seventy four because oh. of an injury. and And he's one of your favorite players I, I saw in the book. Um, you know that that uh, um, he when he was playing more at the end of his career in MVV in yes. Maastricht, uh I was young uh, fan of Cambuur in the north because I lived in in Leopard for a while. And then MVV would come. And he was the big star, of course. He was kind of a fallen Ajax uh, angel that now played in MVV, which was a small team from the south. Uh, And they came all the way to the north. And he was known because of of an advertising, a commercial on TV, because he was walking there with one or two big bulldogs. No, not bulldogs, uh, Danish dogs. He's big. And he's feeding them with food from a can. And the can is called Chappie. So he made advertising for Chappie. The moment he enters the pitch in Leeuwarden, where Cambuur has the stadium, everybody started to do woof, 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 woof. This kind of things, this is football, you know, this is the football humor that is also uh, uh, great and and the culture of... um, in fact, there was fear of the Cambuur supporters for him because he was a strong player, and maybe we don't score because he's in the defense. So they're looking for a way of of, of enlightenment there. So I think that's also so typical Dutch to have this kind of this kind of uh, mm. of humor. But yeah, I
1: should um, mention also was, was a real hero of mine throughout the, the Ajax uh, glory years, and um, a, a criminal the amount of games he didn't play for the Orange. He played 13 games. Yeah. He scored six goals from centre back. Yeah, I mean, no, it's, 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 it's absolutely crazy. But it, it, I mean, I, I, I recommend to people, uh, I, I mean, I do it all the time. Look on YouTube some of Barry Hulsoff's performances. Yeah. It just looks like sometimes you see somebody playing and they look like it's a dad playing in a kid's game because he's bigger, he's stronger, yeah. he's faster, yeah. he's better, and he's just marching around the pitch. I and mean, this is a pitch pictures were mud baths his socks are rolled down to his ankles and yeah. he's marching around the pitch. always the socks always down a yeah, yeah yeah always the socks down putting the world to rights. i was talking I, I, one of the guys who helped me with the book Jan Hermann de Bruyne you probably know yeah. um, he gave me a description he said that Paul uh, stuff's like a viking um although yeah. but he had the skill of an angel yeah. well it's a
0: beautiful description yeah um now for me it was also a, a childhood hero and I, I remember in the 70s must be 72 three I was a very young boy and um, there was this this um, servers of a, of a car coming to the street with a, like a little supermarket car where you could buy bread and and yeah. and, 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 and milk yeah. and you could save, if you would have enough points, you could save an Ajax pyjamas. Okay. And that was one of the, I remember one advertising that Barry Hulsoff was making advertising for the, the, the Ajax pyjamas. I wanted the Ajax pyjamas. I never got them. I never got oh, them, I I Yeah, I want
1: them there as well, man.
0: <laughs> yes, the Ajax pyjamas <laughs> from 72 and 73. It's amazing. Yeah. That's yeah. fine. Yes, but coming back to the freedom and 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 to this these rock stars. I mean, if you look at, at the football that they played, there is a kind of it feels like there's a contradiction. If you know, the uh, Rinas Mikkels as a former school teacher, yeah, uh, with his voice that he has, you know, this 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 appearance, and this very strong uh, disciplined way of. Of coaching the Ajax, that even they they at the beginning they they wanted to get rid of him because he was really changing the culture there. And then, if you look at '74, which is kind of the result of all the things that he started, um, where you feel that like there is no discipline, like they are just playing something. It, it feels like they're improvising. They're not in a in a kind of a, a tactical. Uh, uh, harness, yes, it feels like yes, but for sure, for sure,
1: it is not. Yeah, I mean, obviously, what had happened between those two times was um, Mikkels had spent years in Barcelona. Now, how much that changed his outlook, that developed his outlook, evolved his outlook on the game, I, I don't know, but it certainly was his approach to 74 was very different to, to, to as you mentioned, Um because they used to call him the bull, yes, the bull. Oh, the general and i can't remember the guy's name one of his assistants who played uh with him for ax and said well, as a player he was uh a, a character a joker and that sort of thing but as a coach he was entirely different but he almost came back to that fun loving i know i know um i just mentioned a few places i mean Horsoft didn't get on particularly well with with mickles and um, pete kaiser uh, yeah. i read um, danced on the table when he heard that Nichols uh, was going to Barcelona. Um, so yeah, uh, but I, I suppose you know, you, it's perhaps something that perhaps the lessons were already learned by '74, and he had changed a little bit, and they they meshed so much better. Yes, well, and 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 this is also the story that you hear from the '88
0: generation, the sure. uh, uh, Gulid and Van Bassen. They they really they really. You know they, they they really loved him. They really embraced him. It was it was. Uh, um, I mean, I, I remember interviews with Gullit talking about Michels. The, the you could see the the, the love the, the the affection that they had for each other. And um, and that team also played a kind of football that very much related uh, to my point of view to the '74, um, even though we were uh 40 years later also by the way there cannot be a coincidence that 74 and and, and 88 there is 40 years in between but anyway it's a magic number <laughs> yeah and and, and today's 14th as well and your book
1: is coming out it's the big, amazing I mean, the big differences between the 88 team and the 74 team and the 76, 76 and 78 team as well was the 88 team had a much better goalkeeper um and um, broken. There are, okay. there
0: is some d- debates about it, even though, yes, with, com- with John Glut, he will, he will probably stand the, the, the comparison. Um, Van Beveren was the number one goalkeeper. Yes, and I uh, think. And one yeah, of the, the best uh, in Europe. My generation cannot
1: say anything else than, yes. I mean, he, and uh, obviously that he had the injury before, towards the end of the 74 season, came back and Nichols wanted him to prove his fitness in a friendly. He'd arrived with a hamburger. Um, and he didn't want to risk his and he said, I'll play half and Mikkel said, well no, you do as I say otherwise you're not you're out of the squad and away he went and then of course, 76 um, when Mikkel's gone on and they had Nobel was taken over which, just I mean the, Nobel, the, yeah George yeah, Nobel the, yeah. the Dutch the KNVB decisions on pointing managers sometimes, I mean, it's, it's amazing no, it's absolutely, absolutely very it's, very this guy, this guy went to Ajax the best team in Europe and got, got pointed to the door and then got the national job but anyway, so, um, yeah, so, I mean, then he fell out with Cruyff uh, um, over his, sort of, Cruyff's t- tardiness at training. And uh, and then in 78, of course, uh, Svart Cruyff tried to get him back into the squad. Um, and Cruyff was moaning about that as well. And then, uh, so I suppose as well, Cruyff put him on the bench a few times, hoping time would heal the rift he didn't. And yeah. so Van Beveren retired from Jacksonville football. And Cruyff didn't go. To Argentina yeah. in the end, so Van Beveren could have gone. I mean, one of, must yeah. be the most luckiest, outstanding goalkeepers in in history of international football. He yeah. should have been at two World Cups and a European Championship. I read a piece by yeah, it was Jan Reuter, goalkeeper, who said yeah. that it's impossible to believe that um, if he, if uh, Van Beveren had gone to one of those tournaments, the Dutch would have won at least one of them. Well, l- let's say that
0: let's believe that at least uh, there's another uh, another sure. thing to, to sure. think sure. about um, by the way it's also interesting that that uh, you say that we could have been uh, world champion which means that you're admitting we never became world champions this is one of the things in my platform i never talk about always the match in 78 ends after 90 minutes in any post that i do and in the 74 platform always um, uh, the match ends in one one Okay. I'm, I, I have agreed with myself that 1-1 is okay. I will I will talk about Paul Breitner sc- uh, scoring the penalty, but I will not mention the final result. So in okay. 74, that's the idea of the platform. In the 74 platform, the matches never end. Okay. Well, it, it ends in 1-1. 1-1 in, in Munich and 1-1 in Buenos Aires. Okay. <laughs> so That sounds uh, nice. And it's fair. I mean, in 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 Argentina, it's fair. It was after ninety minutes. It was one one. It was. And it was closer to two one. It was. <laughs> Very close. Yeah. Yes. And uh, but uh, yeah, uh, but this is also interesting because in in the book, you mention uh, uh, seventy four. You you say something that that I, I thought yes, this must be someone that is not my generation from the Netherlands must be someone from abroad saying that. Because you say, and and I'm I'm really hurt about that, you say that Holland picked up the loser's medal in 74. You say the word loser's medal. And that was the first time that somebody wrote, written it so, so strongly to me that I "I can never say that. I can never say that.
1: I mean, okay. I I, I understand (laughs) what you're saying. Um... (laughs) I mean, I, forgive, me, forgive me for my accuracy. <laughs> oh, no, you're probably much more factual than me. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Factual, I mean, the, I, read a, I read a piece, um, I think I mentioned the book, that it became, that 74.5 became known as the lost final. Um, Which I, you
0: understand, I will never mention no, it like I understand.
1: That. I understand. Um, and it is almost... Um, that's, that's why alka Cox's book... Yes, that's right. It, we were the best. Yes, of course. It, Fabulous title. But that, the, 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 the part that where the, the researcher it, it said that the, the semi father that lost funnel dug deep into the Dutch psyche. Um, and people sort of had this problem where they said, yeah, well, the, the Dutch didn't lose, the Germans cheated. <laughs> um, well, that, that, it's, that, that, it's a way that, of explaining away. It's, it, I suppose, it's a slightly different approach to what you were saying there about, you know, you're you are saying you finished it one-one. Um, yeah, I forgot it's, it's what, way what of happened rationalizing, after that. Yeah. It's a way of rationalising. I won't say reality. It's a way of rationalising things that you, that you perhaps don't want to rationalise.
0: Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. I'm, I'm too much. <laughs> and you know, I was, I was a kid. I was. Uh, uh, nine years old or something so so that and and, and it, 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 I started this this conversation by asking you where were you in the World Cup 74 final with whom and, and, and what did you feel well I was in France with my family on a camping in Britannia okay. and we were the only Dutch family on that camping and there was also one German family and all the French because it's close to the landing area from the Second World War. So all the French were in favor of the Netherlands. So when when the final was coming up, me and my father could go to a caravan of a French family to watch the game there on a very small black and white screen. Um, And after that match, we walked back to to our caravan and the French came out of their caravans, made a kind of, maybe it's my fantasy, but at least some must be true. They made a kind of a honorable... How do you call
1: Yes, yeah. uh, uh, God, of along, honor, God of Honor.
0: Yeah. They were standing along the, the road where my father and I walked back to our caravan while they were taking their handkerchiefs out and waving, like, Hollande perdu! Netherlands has lost. That day was the only day that the kids, which I was one of them with an orange shirt, didn't play football. That night, something must have happened because the next morning, the German family left the camping. <laughs> <laughs> Probably people were not kind to them. So uh, yeah. that is my memory of 74, the final. I mean, of course, the impact of losing for a nine-year-old is different. It's, it's a very strong emotion for a short time. But then this whole drama around it,
1: with the French drama around it. Sure. Um, it it's, it's really weird. I, 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 I wanted to get a German perspective of the 74 final, because it's one of the few occasions where the history of it, the story of it, the narrative isn't about the winners. It's about the Dutch, how unlucky the Dutch were. So I got in touch with Rafa Honigstein, who was brilliant and gave me an interview about it. And he said that, um, growing up in Germany, nobody had that perception of the game and he didn't understand anything about it until it came to, to London, he came to university in London, and uh, and then people started talking to him about it. And he said he couldn't really appreciate that outside of Germany, the common perception was that the Dutch had been robbed. They were unlucky. were unfortunate. The Germans had stole the game. In in Germany, the perception was they just played well, but the Germans were better and deserved to win. So yeah. it's just funny how but there's a perspective. Of, of how you're looking from different gowns and I can imagine, you know, because of the French and because of the history of the of the war as well, there's, there's anti-German feeling in in, in yeah. France anyway, especially in the areas that you just described. Exactly, there. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's... So, would that, yeah, there would have been, uh, and I suppose there's a there's a there's a there's a carryover um, in the UK too that perhaps would say is more anti-German than mm-hmm. co dutch for that Yeah, sort of thing.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, it was Hollande perdu, and uh, um... Uh, actually, on that camping, I remember also that that the, my name, Jan Willem, was difficult for them to pronounce. So I said, "Call me Johnny," because Johnny Rap, you know, Johnny Rap, which became yeah, yeah. a god god in France later with the blonde hair and the beard. And um, so they called me Johnny on the camping. Um, um, uh, uh, but but when you say that that um, um, the Germans robbed, I, I don't feel it like that. Uh, I, I have some critics, critical points to, to Jack Taylor as a, as a referee, but we have to put that in the time as it was. Because if I look at some of the attacks of, of Bertie Vogts, he would have been red-carded today. But we have to look at that in the time of then. Oops. And then you see this, uh, this, this uh, attack of Cruyff on of Sepp Meyer, yes. when he tries to reach the ball that could also have been a red card yeah. so so yes i understand we have to see it in that perspective but it was clear that that the germans did two very strong things which was completely dominating the midfield and and taking the you know the the, the strength of of the, the the finesse of the pass to the uh, upfront take it out and and to really mark on christ because uh, i I've, I've seen that final now so many times looking for little clips to put on the on the platform that uh the, any ball that goes to him there is a player trying to to with a sliding to you know mm. to i would say to hit him to at least to to put a lot of pressure on him um fortunately he he uh, not didn't get injured but could have been easily got injured also in that match and i don't know if you saw the
1: book um if you had a chance to there's a, uh, I spoke to Graham Hunter. It was also a wonderful guy to speak to about uh, about it and he, he, he recalled an interview we had with Cruyff about the, um, I can't remember who he was, he was from one of the English newspapers, I can't remember who he was, um, but he was saying that Cruyff had a massive respect for Bertie Verne. Um, he said he was like a little terrier um, you go past him, but he'd be back snapping your ankles again. And yeah. he was, it, it, it it sounded it almost sounded like when he was like a little dog. It was an insult, but it wasn't. It was a compliment to a, 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 an honoured opponent. But as you say, it was very much the challenges were very much of its time. Yeah. You know, yeah. In, in you know, in, in um in modern games, a, a bit like the Brazil game. Um, quite a few players have said that you know there'd be six, seven, eight red cards in the Brazil game, in uh, in '74. Um, but I, I don't know if you've seen the part, and forgive me there again, this is something that um, I heard from um, Jan-Herm de Bruyne about Schwalbe. Yeah. Are you familiar with that story? Forgive me. Are you not
0: referring to the to the Holzenbein one?
1: No, no, yes, the Holzenbein, the doy. Yeah. Because it's a German word, isn't it? And it, it, apparently yes. got, it got co-opted into the Dutch language. Yes, yes, absolutely. We call it yeah. Something a little bit sharp practice in sport. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, it, uh, I'm sure you do know this forgive me on um, um, in 78 a similar thing happened with Olsenbein when he, he, he went down and and the, and an ink got sent off in the uh, in the game the group game against uh, against Germany and he hadn't touched him apparently yeah. and
0: uh, but you know Olsenbein that... uh, uh, makes a second swallow also there's a second one that he makes in the final okay. and I found footage. That was shot—the first one that that caused the penalty that that Brightness made—and where the game ended in one-one. There is footage from a camera that is kind of uh, walking on the on the sideline, filming Hultzenbein going into the box
1: and jumping over the leg of of, of uh, yeah, it's Janssen, it's Janssen, isn't it? I, I I was talking to um, it's the it, he married this guy married Jack Taylor's granddaughter. And he was saying that, that Jack Taylor said, you know, he still thought it was a penalty. But later on, apparently, um, and this this guy didn't know this, but he um, there was a it was on a television program. I can't remember where it was now. But Taylor admitted he he thought he'd made a mistake. Ah, wow. Yeah, well, but, uh, but you can't I mean just back in the, in the jar, can you? No, uh, of course. I mean, if we go back to to
0: to all this all the scenes there. Uh, there is also a theory that Christ is tackled before the box.
1: Yes, outside I mean, the box, for the penalty. Yeah, I mean,
0: yes, you can look at it like that, but it's also, with the same eye, pair of eyes, you can look at it differently.
1: But, but then again, if you look at where, where Taylor is, Taylor's about two meters yes. away from the incident. Yes. Um, so, I mean, he couldn't have been much better for to make that decision. And uh, yeah. I mean, whatever, whatever he, I mean, it certainly felt, it was certainly a, um, an illegal yeah. challenge yes. um, and,
0: It was sensational in the first two minutes. I mean, and and, and that no German touched the ball. And uh, I mean, it was uh, in fact, that is one of the theories that that many people say is in fact that the fact that Netherlands started off so well. Yes. and, And if you look at the 10 minutes after they scored one one nil, you see that Germany is not putting any pressure. Germany is leaning back. Yes, and Netherlands actually doesn't really, really go aggressively to attack oh. because it's one 0 oh, and no. there is that there's kind of a change. But I, I especially th- this is typical that we will never accept in the Netherlands that our team one 0 behind in the final would lean back. Yes, that is the Dutch spirit of football. Yes,
1: uh, that, uh, it's impossible. I mean, it's interesting. There's a few quotes I've got in the book and. Van Hannecom's uh, quoted, is uh, quoted, Cruyff's quoted as well, saying that the, the Dutch just wanted to humiliate the Germans. Yeah. They wanted to sh- show off, and they, they were shadow boxing and them saying, look at look at us, aren't we beautiful? And uh, and basically um, forgot to score the second goal. And yeah. um, Rafa Honigstein said, I was talking about this incident. I think I mentioned in the book. He said, there's no way. If Germany had been a goal up inside one minute, that they wouldn't have gone for the second killer goal. Yeah. But that was the difference in the mentality. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we,
0: we, before we started to record this, we talked about the game of yesterday of the Netherlands against Ukraine. Yes. I mean, carefully built up, uh, really with patience, building the 2-0 up and then giving it away in two or three minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But fortunately, mentally, they were very capable of continuing picking up the, the pace of the match and and making that third goal that was about to be scored anyway so uh, we got away very well and I think uh, it was um, it was fair the the it final was, result it was a um, but th- this is yeah this is something deeply rooted uh, uh, like we discussed before is that um, in the Netherlands we we are very keen on playing beautiful football we have coaches that want that I mean if you have Van Gaal who talks about attacking football In his style we have of course kreif as the master of that um uh, michels um it is about attacking football Uh, uh, peter bosch uh who's now in lyon Uh, um all uh, um uh, from 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 ajax all of them you know uh, wanting to have that attacking football that's why we have this huge discussion now again now frank de Boer is choosing for the three five two formation and uh uh, Rafael van der Vaart yesterday and the day before yesterday on television says, "Come on, how can you do that? Everybody in the Netherlands at school and the football club, everybody plays 4-3-3, so everybody knows how to play that. Why don't you play that? And maybe here's a turning point.
1: Perhaps, perhaps I was I was fortunate to speak to." Um I, I, I wanted to get in touch with the KNVB because I wanted to ask their opinion about the future and how things are going. And us, so I just basically into, uh, I found their, their publicity um, department, sent them an email off with a few questions, and I said, you know, if, if somebody could answer, it would be great. And they came back to try and find somebody to answer questions. And the guy who came back was Nicole Jan the, you know, no, the director the top, of, of the top of, guy and he yeah. I mean, he was really good about the conversation and he said by the way he was a good football player in in twenty yes, in absolutely Thomas. and he said um, in in the Netherlands it's important to win well as it is to win yeah. uh, exactly well that that I thought that's great that was great that was great to hear and you know the all the things that they were doing in Zeiss to uh, the different um, facilities now built there to um, to foster the the legacy of the seventy four yeah yeah.
0: So oh, I, I, it was for several years Ajax didn't win championships and PSV won, and there was this idea that PSV always scores in the last minute, lousy. They play lousy and they win. And even Yuri Mulder, who is now a pundit on on television and was a was a uh, played several times in the national team and with his great father, who was a great football player um, in the Krijger era, uh, he went to Schalke Nufir, Nufir in Germany. And he uh, came back, I remember an interview on Dutch television, he said, you know that we really are training on the last five minutes of the game. To really try to force a goal in the last five minutes, which in the Netherlands, maybe nowadays, yes, but at that time, nobody thought about that. Mm-hmm. Because we were thinking that, okay, we will lead one or two nil, so, you know, and one goal against it, that will, will not hurt us. Yes. Um of course, that is that is more difficult uh, uh, nowadays. But like I said, the this, this moment where we are now, we have Frank de Boer, who is grown up in four three three. He grew up, Ajax, the Ajax school, um, Barcelona, um, and he is now choosing for the three five two formation, um, very clearly, very strongly. Also, it's a very strong debate. Um, it's also not four four two. It's Three, five, two. Exactly. So it's, it's really, yes. it's really something. Let's say something different, um, and and I think maybe here's a turning point in in the way uh, we have experienced football in the last, let's say, last century, and what was what was normal that when you were going to an amateur club. And your coach would go to the to the board and would say, would make four dots here, three dots there, three dots there, and say the names who were playing where. And you knew exactly. Okay, I'm the left winger, I'm the right winger, I'm the centre back. And they, everybody would know exactly how to play, um, and that is uh, probably not good enough anymore.
1: I don't know. You say that. I rem- I remember many many years ago, this would be probably. I mean, I, it, it, the first time I to see Barcelona play, but. And, this was the end of Saviola, who's playing for Barcelona, and it all changed, the stadium's all changed now, but they used to have, uh, when you went to the ticket office, it used to be like a little building, it's all modern there with all machines, and there was like these five, or something, well not parts there were 11 sized football pitches around the um, yard, and the underage kids were playing there, and they, they all played in the first strip, which was at the uh, Blaugrana, but the second strip was like that Ford brownie colored strip. That was the era. But they all played the same. They all played the same. And I just yeah. didn't watched them for quite a while. Yeah. And moving from one team to the they all played 4 3 3. Yeah. They all played two touch on possession, moved the ball quickly, three passing options for the guy in possession. They all played the same system. And that's yeah. the, le- the legacy of Cruyff. For yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Messiah. He, he
0: even saw the amateur t- team and he said why are they playing so low in the in the fifth league of the amateurs i want them to have them on the highest level and he they started to to train differently they started to attract some players and indeed in five six years they moved up to the highest level of amateurs because he said well this club you know it has to be on all levels and and um, he wanted also to have players moving from the second team eventually to the amateurs and so but the system would be the same and and uh, uh, everybody would have the same education. I think it's a a great, uh, great uh, vision. But uh, of course, when you have a player like Frankie de Jong, um, like you could see yesterday, I mean, I I think uh, in, in Dutch history, there hasn't been a player, to my memory, that covers so much area in a match, that plays in all the positions, that is Always ready to receive the ball. That everybody's in fact depending on what is going to happen. You can even see that when the the they shoot the ball to the pie, to Memphis pie, he is kind of looking at the midfield. Is is Frankie de Jong already there or not? He 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 holds the ball until he can give it back to Frankie because he knows that is secure. It's so so I I completely understand that if you have a play like that, why stick to the 4-3-3? I mean, that is the opposite of Van Gaal, who said the system is holy and the player, you know, we put we put Rivaldo to the left. Sure. Even though he has the ballon d'or and he's just, he wants to play in the centre. We put him to the left. That is, that is the Van Gaal. And now we have the Frank de Boer era, who grew up in the 4-3-3, but somehow uh, maybe it's the experience of having, having been coached in Italy, not successful, but at least with experience, uh, in the uh, in in uh, in the UK, in the Netherlands, uh, having played in different countries, maybe this is uh, opening the mind. Maybe he's the most mundane
1: trainer that we had. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say that. I've it? It never really struck me before, but you're absolutely right. And um, I, I, I watch because living in Spain, I, I write I write a column for a Spanish newspaper over here about the Liga, so I watch lo- all the Spanish games, and particularly Barcelona. Um, Barcelona Real Madrid, obviously. And um, sometimes Kerman has played uh, De young as a libero. With the three in a three at the yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is which is I mean, and I, I, I saw it. it, it had, I saw him do it two or three times, and it was exceptional. I mean, because he's uh, got time and space on the ball to move forward and, and initiate attacks. Um, and they were playing three-five-two. Yeah. So that's it, That's interesting. You know, when you say about um, the ball, because I know it was a big thing and. I read recently there's there's an airplane going flew over the um, yeah, yes. camp with a yeah. you know, De Boer four three three yeah yeah. You know, but it was done it was done by one of the commercial channels. So yeah, I'm sure it was, but it just, it just shows that the sorts no, of
0: it's, absolutely there is the a discussion. Yeah, it's, it's a, a fundamental to... discussion here because it's also about the heritage of Kriv and Michels.
1: Yeah,
0: I mean it is feels like cheating on Kriv when you go to three five two, which mm. of course is not the case because he would not have been so stubborn. He would also look at the players that he has. Um, But you're right. uh, uh, Frankie de Boer uh, in that position, Frankie de Jong in that position in Barcelona reminds me a lot of how Ruth Kroll played as a liberal. Yes, he did. Um, Maybe less dynamic. Maybe Ruth Kroll had much more the the long pass, like Frank de Boer also has. Um, but it reminded me a lot. But how he played in the Netherlands yesterday in all the positions—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's incredible. And yes, of course, you have to adapt uh, the, the system to the
1: talent that you have. I, I, Talk about Krol as a as a as a libero. Um, in the book, I, I I mentioned a guy called Alex Fosse who's a, a journalist at uh, Gazzetta dello Sport in Italy, and his father was Pier, Pierluigi um, Fossio, who was the captain of uh, the Parigi team. That went unbeaten in a Syria season um in 79 80, something like that. not look after the world cup and alex was telling me that how impressed his father was with crow and he sort of refined his way of playing as as a as a libero yeah it's, it's yeah, but strange isn't it how these sort of things move on people yeah. look at systems and develop from them
0: but, uh, but of course, there there is I think that Kuman d- also does this because we have that history. We have these players, we have these memories. Um, and uh, um, yeah, and, and and obviously, we have the players uh, because of this the education. and And when people ask me, why is such a small country so significant in football, I, I, I always say that maybe there's a moment that we started to take football seriously. And that is, I think, it must have been the era of Rinus Mikos coming to Ajax, when when the, he he started to to train hard, and started to set goals, started to give penalties for people who came too late, um, get, uh, uh, was much more on the tactical side. That must be the turning point. And of course, yes, it paid off in
1: the seventies already. When I was when I was writing the book, um, people say, well, why did you go all the way back in history to the how Dutch football started. Well, it was difficult to, to find a starting point otherwise, because people might say, well, it started with Mickles. Well, it didn't, because there was Vic Buckingham before that. And yeah, yeah, yes, you write that in the book. I've... A similar sort of football. And uh, so I sort of, uh, that's why I wanted to get the, you know, Buckingham from the start to the, to the, to the, when I finished in 2010. Um, but when I remember when Mickles went to, took over from Buckingham at Ajax, they were far from being a top team. They were near the bottom of the league. Yes, yes. And they, I think Very they dope. won the first game 8-3 or something under Mickles, something like that. And But of the remaining games, I think he won four and drew two and lost two or something. Not brilliant, but that they kept him on. And then the, the sort of train went from there. But even though the Dutch football was professional then, it was almost professional only in name, in as much as um, Cruyff used to work for um, a magazine. Um, To eke out a shoe shop also, and yeah, and and Picoys had a tobacconist shop, and so they were professional in. in, But but it was Mickels apparently who encouraged the the club to pay them as proper, and then you you get that sort of professional attitude that you just described. Nurture it, nurture it from there.
0: Yeah, I was just reading the the biography that is written by by Alcock the the cry biography and there he goes very much into detail about um, also Crive his first uh, uh, contract as a as a uh, as a youth player then he was the first one of the first three that that got a full time contract yeah um, uh, and his first match in the in the first team he lost in groningen uh, yeah. so it's, it's 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 incredible how how these these aspects also kind of bended to this super talent, into become such a great player and and football football uh, visionary, and um, that is that is such a great thing that you in your book, um, you're focusing clearly on the 70s because there is something so coherently happening yeah. that we never had we never had before and yeah. never had after that that it was so coherent during a period of time. Even though I think that 78 was still kind of a, an unexpected final yes uh, but of course there was a, there, there was something rooted there There were there were there was base there were basics and and that 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 you put that in a context of the history because this is also interesting that for most of the people the football of the Netherlands starts in 74 or final 70 or in in IX 69 um, but of course there's a there's a, a bigger history um, and it's so great to to see that from a from a, a foreign perspective. Uh, not foreign in a sense that um, you, uh, I, I really fe- I really felt that you're touching the Dutch culture, you really understand and you really go deep into that and you have a lot of people that you gathered to support you there, which is very interesting. Um, but but also um, because it, it put that 74, 78 into the context of, yes, but this is where it came from and that can explain why it happened there and then you go to the future, and the future, and the future. I don't know the uh, the chapter how it's called exactly, but uh, um, the, the, uh, the future is or, Is the future orange? Is the future orange? That's exactly, and it is all about that that heritage. Yeah. Uh, you know that that, um, and and I think the soul of the of the of the Dutch reflected in the Dutch football.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, one of the things that really. Um, Made me want to write the story was the the ridiculous fact that um, the Dutch qualified for the World Cup in '34 and '38, and didn't qualify again until 1974. Yes. And when they when they beat um, Bulgaria in the in the opening game of the group stage in '74, it was the first World Cup game Uruguay 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 you said Bulgaria. Uh, so Sorry, forgive me, Uruguay. Yeah. Uruguay the which,
0: basket. which, by the way, is tomorrow. Tomorrow is fifteenth of June. The fifteenth of June, nineteen seventy-four, was Holland Uruguay.
1: All ah, right, okay, I didn't know. that. Yes. Okay. So tomorrow
0: now, we have another celebration of your book. You have a special day again.
1: Perfect. <laughs> um, but so, 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 after so thirty-six years without qualifying for the World Cup, go to Germany, losing the final to the hosts four years later, go to Argentina losing the final to the host an extra time, and then don't qualify for another World Cup until 1990. It's just, it's just amazing. There's a quote which I use in the book from David Winner's Brilliant Orange book, In yeah. 1974, the Dutch had a World Cup qualification record on a par with Luxembourg. <laughs> yes. yes, yes. Yeah, I saw that yes. quote. Yeah, they yeah. went to the 1974 World Cup as one of the favourites. And they never won a game. Yes. It's, I mean, that's yes. amazing.
0: Yes. And and then also they qualified for 1990 with that 88 team. Yes. And then
1: played such a lousy tournament. Bean hacker. Yes. disaster, Disaster. Disaster. Yes. I, I always have this, this thing and I use it, this phrase. I mention the book quite often. Dutch football is like a flame. It burns so brightly, but only very briefly. <laughs> I think, Gary, that's actually
0: a beautiful quote to, to end our, uh, our session. Um, so for those who came in late, um, we talked we, we talk with Gary Thacker, who's the author of Beautiful Bridesmaids Dress in Orange. Oranje, in Oranje, I have to say, because you wrote it in Oranje, which, which was also great. Um, a book that was published today that is especially um, uh, describing the 70s of the, of the Dutch football as the heart of the history that he's describing in the future. A book absolutely worth to read. Um, thank you very much, Gary, for your time and uh, for all your sor- stories and insights and, and, and the backgrounds of the book. Um, well, it was a pleasure talking
1: to you. Pleasure, Jan. I mean, you can't, you can't have much more fun talking about football with a glass of beer than discussing the great Dutch teams of the 1970s. Yes. So that we have to
0: write down that one day we're we're now uh, uh, um, meeting digitally, one day we have that beer uh, and and, and because there's so much more to talk about. uh, Definitely. uh, I I will now close down the clubhouse. So thanks everybody for being here and uh, see you next time.